Anyhow, hey, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, I'm Jeff Hume. I am one of the pastors here at Gray, associate pastor. I work with the students. And uh, I uh, look forward to being able to preach on occasion. Um, preaching is, is much easier when you're a part of a church where the Bible is really the source and substance of every message. Um, because I don't have to come up with some kind of uh, manufactured message, you know, from, our, from my mind. I don't have to sit around all week thinking what would be inspirational. I don't have to try to come up with that kind of thing. But we just take a passage from the Bible and try to let it speak for itself. And so that's my goal this morning. And so uh, how do we choose which Bible passage to preach? Well, I'll give you a little behind-the-scenes look at the making of a sermon. Uh, I'll share George's secrets why he's not here. Just don't tell him. Uh, I'll share with you my three patented P's for the preparation of preaching. All right? Pastor George will be powerfully proud. You know, all the letters match. All right? So my three P's for the preparation of preaching are prayer, passage, and the people. That's not the message today, but that's just uh, just a kind of introductory, introductory. I prayed about what passage to preach. Okay? I just said, God, what do you want me to preach? And so when presented with the opportunity, I knew George would be preaching from the, had been preaching from the Psalms and that I would be preaching from the Psalms. Why? Because George felt like that would be a good direction for our church this summer. And so I prayerfully looked for a passage from the Psalms and then I considered the people. I considered what's going on at Grace, what's going on in our church body. And over the next few weeks, we have two mission teams from Grace going out into uh, to share the gospel. After this morning's worship service, I, me and a bunch of youth are jumping on a bus and we're headed to St. Louis. We're going to be helping a new church reach its neighborhood with the gospel. And then uh, just a week away, I think, another team's headed to El Salvador, where Grace partners there with a local church and school. And so this morning, as I was thinking about what passage to preach from the from the Psalms and looking at the, the options out there, I thought, what better than to look at missions? And so this morning, I want to invite you to look at Psalm 96. And I may say it wrong a number of times because somehow in my notes, I've written Psalm 69. And so I may say 69 a few times. And if I do, I mean 96. And so we're going to look at Psalm 96, a message, which if I was going to give it a title, I guess, a catchy message would be worship and witness in Psalm 69 a call to missions. And so let's pray, and then we're going to look at this passage together. Pray with me if you would. God, thank you so much for your word. God, your word, it is the source by which we know you. God, it is the way in which you have given us so clearly to find your desires for your people. And so, God, we come this morning gathered around your word. And I pray that as we spend this time, that, God, you would speak to us. That, God, you would clearly say what you need to say. Lord, you are, you are worthy of all our praise this morning. You are worthy of everything. And we just come to you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's this misconception that the idea of missions is a New Testament concept. Yes, it is in, in the New Testament, and Paul was the first missionary. And when speaking of missions, we rightly look to Jesus' commands to be on mission. Passages like we quote often, the Great Commission, 
Matthew 28, where it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Or Jesus' final words to his disciples as he was ascending into heaven. He said this in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the origin of missions did not begin in the New Testament. God has always desired that all people everywhere would know and worship him from the first pages of the Bible to the last. And this morning's passage, Psalm 96, is an Old Testament poem that's brimming with the theme of missions. And so I want to read that together this morning, Psalms 96, 1 through 13. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of the nation. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord, the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. And all the people in his faithfulness. In this passage, we see um, Paul is, is or not Paul, the psalmist is, uh, is looking at this passage and we see a repetition here. And repetition is often used for emphasis. Let me say that again. Repetition is often used for emphasis. All right. And I want to emphasize here that we see um, this, this passage is broken into two parts. You've got this call for missions. And then he says, here's the case for missions. Here's why we worship. So there's this call to worship, and then there's this case for worship. And then again, in the second half, he repeats it. So in the first four, first three verses, we see uh, the call to worship. And then in verses six, uh, I'm sorry, uh, in verses four through six, we see the case for worship. Then in seven, eight, nine, and ten, he repeats. He just goes back and says, here's another reason for the call for worship. He gives it again, and then he gives the case for worship. And so originally, I, I've, I struggled with this passage. Do I preach it once and then preach the same thing again? Do I put them together? And I'm going to kind of smash them together this morning. And so we're going to look at the first three verses uh, from Psalm 96, and then the second section of call to worship. I hope I'm making sense. In, in uh, verses uh, 7 through 10, we're going to look at those, and then we'll go and look at the next section. But the big idea this morning, I want you to get this as he cycles through this idea twice. The big idea, if I was trying to define it, is this. Psalm 96 calls on God's people to witness his greatness to the entire earth, calling all people everywhere to join in worship 
giving clear reasons why the Lord alone is worthy. All right, he goes through here and he's going to give us, uh, he's going to call us to witness to the whole earth. He's going to call on people everywhere to join together in worship to the Lord alone who is worthy. Psalm 96 is about missions, but Psalm 96 is also about worship. When I was in seminary, one of the first classes I took was a class on missions. And it really changed how I thought about missions. And more importantly, it changed how I thought about worship. And there was a book in the, in the class that, that kind of rocked my world. Uh, the book was uh, called Let the Nations Be Glad. It's written by a, a pastor by the name of John Piper. And the textbook from the class really looked at this idea that, that worship and missions are closely related. And there was a quote in the book. It's quoted by a lot of pastors around the world. And I think it's a great quote. And I want to put it on the screen this morning. And it says this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Now, that's a wordy quote, and I want to focus on just a couple phrases. There's a couple of phrases in that passage, and the first one's this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We, we want the whole world to worship, and there will come a day when worship will, will, will go on forever. We'll be in heaven, and missions will be no more, but worship abides forever. Our passage this morning, Psalm 96, is really the perfect confirmation of Piper's quotation. It shows that it's biblical. It's correct. And so as we look at Psalm 96, we're going to look at this idea of worship and witness. And so we start off in Psalm 96 with this call to worship. Again, look at those first three verses. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. We've got singing. Again, in verse 2, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. And then we jump down. If you look at, at verses uh, starting 7, it, it's again that echo back and forth. He's intensifying by repeating it. He starts, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. Then in verse 7, ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, again in verse 7. And in verse 8, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So we see this idea over and over here of worship, the emphasis. These verses are really a mishmash of worship and missions commingled together. We sing to the Lord and then we proclaim his salvation. We sing to the Lord and then we declare to the nation. And there is a definite order, I think, here. And tonight, this morning, I want you to understand that missions begins with worship. Because the first thing we must do is we must sing to the Lord. Singing, though, is not worship. Yesterday, a bunch of us went to the Royals game. I think there was, we had about 60 of us from the Grace that went out to the Royals game. And we sang. Uh, we sang right before the game. You know, we sang the, the national anthem. My son was there, and uh, my grandson, I'm sorry. And uh, he was walking around. And he, was, he stopped. We, everyone stopped suddenly. And they were singing. And he was confused. He looked around like, why is everyone stopped? I said, stop, put your hand over your heart. And so he was like, all right. And he put his hand over his heart and he was looking around. He's five years old. And everyone began to sing. And then again, later in the game, in the seventh inning, we all sang again, you know, that, that famous American song, 
don't quite get it, but we sang, take me out to the ballpark. You know, give me some, some Cracker Jacks. And we sang, but that wasn't worship. Now, it contained many of the same elements of our singing this morning. There was people, there was music, a bunch of people. We were united. But our focus that this, uh, yesterday wasn't on anything really worthy of worship. You see, we are called to sing, but we as a church must make sure that our singing is focused and it's focused ultimately on God. We're called to sing. We're called to ascribe. But what's the phrase right after that each time? Sing who? To the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. The focus of our worship is all that matters. That is what it's all about. It's about him looking to him. Ascribe means give, give to the Lord. Now, this is not because the Lord is lacking something and we need to give him something. It's, it's, it's ascribing to him uh, worship is no different than ascribing to the sunset worship or to uh, the sunset saying it's glorious. We don't give anything to the sunset. We, we just what? We recognize its beauty. We drive by the, the dam. We look across the lake and see the beauty of the sunset. And it causes our heart to, to kind of rejoice and hopefully to the Lord, not to the sunset. But as we, as we look at that, we're not adding to it. And we don't add to the Lord as we ascribe and give him praise. He is not lacking anything. We just testify of his beauty. We recognize his qualities. So what do we sing to the Lord? We sing to the Lord. But what is the content of our singing? Well, verse 1 says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. We're called to sing a new song to him. Not something stale, but something fresh. Recognizing what God has done and what he is doing. Because even old saints, I'm not calling you old. I'm, I'm, I'm plenty old myself. Even old saints can sing new songs. We need to have a fresh song from God. We can become very stale and very comfortable in our singing. But we're called upon the Lord to sing a new song. His mercies, the scriptures tell us, are new every morning. And so our praises ought to be new every day. Our heart should have this fresh voice all the time of what God is doing in our lives. But it's not only a new song, but we're to sing it according to verse uh, verse 2. We sing it day after day. We proclaim his salvation day after day. It's not just a Sunday occurrence. We sing of God's salvation, mercy, and love. We sing today of those things. But we sing of them tomorrow. We sing of them the next day. From day to day, we need to be singing of his goodness, of his deeds. If you show up on Sunday and you haven't worshipped all week long, I think our worship muscles become atrophied and we really don't worship in the way that God wants us to. But if we're going to truly be a church of worship, if we're going to be a church that lifts the praise that it describes here in this, in this chapter... We need to prime the pump. We need to be worshiping every day, getting up and spending time with God, rejoicing in Him, fresh every day, new mercies. Imagine for a moment, what does worship look like? If you were to close your eyes and I said, paint a picture of worship, what does it look like in your mind? I don't think it looks like Someone just standing there and just quietly uh, just moving their lips a little bit along with the song. 
When I paint a picture in my mind of worship, what do I see? I see expression. I see someone excited about what they're doing. We often say, well, you know, I I worship in my own way. I just kind of quietly. I'm not a singer. But I want to challenge us that worship shows what's going on inside of us. And we may not be a hand lifter or we may not be a dancer. I know there was a kid over here. I don't know who it was that was singing out the song. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. They were, they were really going for it. And maybe you're not that person. I, I wasn't. I wasn't jumping in the front row. But I think sometimes we can become very placid and very um, withdrawn in our worship. That we can go through the, the motions of just moving our lips and our hearts just in neutral. And we get done and we're like, what, what, what do we sing? I don't remember. What, did I, what was I singing about? But the praise that we're talking about here is praise that is fresh. It's day by day. It's exciting. It starts in our hearts and I believe it bleeds out into our lives. And I think some of us need to tell our face that we love the Lord. We're just going to kind of singing and I love you, Lord. And we just, we're not, we're not excited at all. And again, that just being expressive doesn't make, doesn't make it true worship. But I think true worship will be expressive. It should be active. And it's pictured here in this passage as bringing an offering to the Lord. He says, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, praise his name. And then he goes down and says, ascribe to the Lord. And he gets down in verse 8. He says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And we have this picture of them bringing an offering to the Lord. Worship is a sign of our commitment to the Lord. They understood this well. They brought offerings into the temple all the time. And we're not, we, we wouldn't make this just be, well, I bring my offering like to put in the offering plate. Now, that's not what we're talking about here. But they're presenting their worship to him. Their, off, their, their, their offering before the Lord was, was worship to him. And we need to bring our best offering to him. Your worship needs to be your best. It just shows our commitment, our love. We must take it seriously. We see this picture of coming into the temple, into his courts, approaching the Lord in his holiness. In the scriptures, when they brought something that wasn't worthy of the Lord, what happened? He rejected that offering. And could you imagine coming to church on Sunday morning, moving your lips, singing songs, and then going and getting your car and go home, and the Lord says, I don't accept that. Do you think the Lord ever does that? That he would look and say, you moved your lips, you sang the songs, but your heart was not in it. Your offering wasn't really offered in a way that was a holy offering, that trembled. The whole idea, they're coming with trembling. Why are they trembling? Lord, please take this. This is so holy. You are so holy. And what I have is so, I hope it's my best. It's my best I can give, Lord. Would you take it? And they're trembling before him. And we come in sometimes and I think we just, well, I moved, I I came to church, I sang the songs, I did my part. 
Worship is an emotive form of communication. It expresses our thoughts and feelings. We have to make sure our, our worship, our singing to the Lord, that it honors Him. So what is the content of our song? We sing to the Lord. And what is the content? We shout His salvation. What is the focus? The focus is the Lord. We focus on Him. What is the content? The content is the Lord. We're shouting His praise. We're shouting to the Lord. It says in each of these verses, sing to the Lord. In some versions, Lord is capitalized. I don't know if you have the NIV. It's not. But I think in the ESV and some of the other uh, versions, you'll see sing to the Lord, all capital. Sing to the Lord, all capital. Ascribe to the Lord, all capital. Why is it all capitalized? Well, if you've been around the church for a while, maybe you've heard this taught. But there's different words for God and different words for Lord. And here where we see it capitalized, it's a reference to God's name, Yahweh. When, when Moses met with God on the mountain and asked what his name was, God told him, I am Yahweh. And so when we have that word, rather than having Yahweh, sing to Yahweh, sing to Yahweh here, what they've done is they've capitalized Lord in each of those cases to let us know it's that name. And it's interesting because that name is closely linked to God's redeeming acts. It's, re, it's the name that God was, they were to give to the people of, of Israel that were in bondage. When he went into to, to Egypt to release them, he was to tell them, the Lord has sent you. Yahweh has come. And it was a sign of his deliverance. It showed, it represented his true character, his complete nature. And we're to do the same. What are we called to do? Sing to the Lord. What? Proclaim in verse 2 his salvation day after day. The Lord is the deliverer. He is, he has given us salvation. Declare his glory among the nations. He has rescued his people. He has brought them out of Egypt. His marvelous deeds amongst all the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. The content of our singing is the marvelous deeds of God. For us, that's the gospel. His salvation for us, free through Christ. His marvelous deeds He has done through us through the crucifixion. One of the great preachers of our time, Charles Spurgeon, from days of old, said this, speaking of this passage, and if you would sing unto the Lord, let, let me recommend to you, I can't speak my mouth. Someone, would you do me a favor? Leroy, would you bring me that water? I'm about ready to, my lips are sticking together as I'm trying to talk. I'm going to try to read. I'm going to have to wait. I'm going to have to take a drink before I even read this. Thank you, sir. Y'all can't get up and go get water. Sorry. All right. Reset. What is the content of our preaching? It's to be deliverance. It's the story of the gospel. And Charles Spurgeon said it this way. And if you would sing unto the Lord, let me recommend to you that recommend you to flavor your mouth with the gospel doctrines, which savor most of God's grace unmerited and free. Any other forms of theology would tempt us to be more or less to chant the praises of men. Gratitude has full play when we come to know the salvation is of the Lord alone and that mercy is divinely free. You see, our songs need to be Godward focused and they need to be gospel saturated. We need to be preaching to ourselves through our singing the gospel. Our songs, we need to evaluate them and say, are they the songs that sing of the glory of the Lord that would be like this song? 
declaring his glory among the nations, proclaiming his salvation, ascribing to the Lord glory, bringing an offering to him in praise and worship and holiness. Those are the kind of songs we need to sing. Church, we need to sing them loud. We, need, we should be the loudest singers. Yesterday, we got to the end of the... Uh, and the... And the home of the... You guys know what they said? Chiefs! Everyone yelled it out around me. Why? They're proud of the Chiefs, right? They wanted to let everyone know that we're Kansas City. We love the Chiefs. They were enthusiastic about that. And we're singing, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, amen. We need to be enthusiastic in our singing. We should be the loudest in our, in our worship. And so we see this idea of singing to the Lord a new song, a fresh song, a daily song, a song that is serious and offering to Him. It shows our commitment. We shout His salvation, deliverance, the gospel. And where does missions come into all of this? Well, it comes in because in this passage we see that we are called to summon the nations to worship along with us. To summon the nations. God's plan from the first pages of Scripture to the last is that everyone would be in worshiping, would be worshiping Him. That all the world would know Him. That all the world would worship Him. Almost every line in this psalm is an invitation for everyone everywhere to join in worship. Look at Look at this passage when we see here again. Sing to the Lord all the earth. He's calling to all the earth. And then he expresses that to, to in verse 3, declare his glory, what? Among the nations, to all peoples. And then ascribing to the Lord, you families of nations. Worship the Lord, all the earth. He's telling them over and over and over that all of the world should, should worship. We are called as a church to call everyone everywhere into that place of worship. Because that's where eternity is headed. We started this morning with our call to worship, reading of scripture, and we saw a picture of heaven. And in heaven someday, we will gather around the throne of God. And the Bible says there will be people there from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And here, we see the call going out. The psalmist is saying, come everyone, gather to the throne. We'll see the culmination of this in Revelation chapter 5. But we see the promise and the, the, the call to this here. In verse 7, it says, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. That, that term, families of nations, we see it earlier in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. It's part, of, it's part of the covenant to Abraham where, where God tells Abraham this, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all, peoples on, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He says, I, there will come a day when everyone will be blessed through you, through your offspring, ultimately through Jesus Christ. And here he's saying that same thing, that there will come a day when all families of the nations will gather there. And in Revelation, there will come a day when it will finally be culminated and we will be gathered around the throne in worship. Where, where we will read the worships, that they will sing this song, 
It's Revelations chapter 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seal, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus Christ came. And he died for us. And we proclaim his salvation. But he died for all people everywhere. And there are so many that have never heard the gospel. There are many that will not be there around that throne because they have not been invited. And it's our job, church. And he calls us to do it here in Psalm 96. It is our call to proclaim to the nation salvation. To go out and spread the gospel, the good news that God is worthy of worship. It starts with us worshiping in our heart. And that joy and excitement, then we take that to others. When we encounter God on Sunday morning and throughout the week, and we come in here and we worship, and we truly encounter God, that we can do nothing less than to go and to share that love with others. When we get that excited about what God's doing in us. And I think one of the reasons we are so weak in sharing the gospel is because the passion of our heart, our worship is weak. Because when you love something, you can't help but share it with others. I carry pictures. I've got my phone on me. I carry pictures of my grandkids. And you take a moment and start talking to me. I'll be like, hey, well, look, look, look. I want to show you. And I'm going to start showing you my grandchildren. Flipping through. Why? Because I'm passionate about them. I love them. Should we be the same about the Lord? When we start talking to people, should we be, let me tell you about God. I want to show you what he's done in my life. We're called to take that passion, that worship that begins in us as we sing the Lord a new song. We take it to the, to the nations. We take it around the world. Worship is the goal of missions. We go and we share the gospel that everyone would know him. So we have, first of all, the call to worship. But we also have the case for worship. And we're going to go through this quickly and we'll wrap it up. In the second half, we, so we have in verse 1 through 3, the call to worship. And then in 7 through 9, the call to worship. And now we're going to look at the case for worship. Why? Well, two reasons this morning that I want to give you. First of all is this. We find it in verses 4 through 6. For great is the Lord. Why do we worship him? For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. We worship the Lord because he alone is worthy. We can worship so many different things. Yesterday, when we were singing the national anthem, I mean, someone could turn their heart towards worshiping our nation. We can turn our heart to things that are not worthy of our worship. And we need to tell the world that the things they worship are false. They're hollow. Matter of fact, this verse, that, that word idol is the word nothing. That they worship nothing. People spend their energy, their time, their money. People this morning are out doing other things. Listen, 
being in church is not the only thing. I mean, if, if you're missing church this morning, I'm not talking to people that's... What I'm trying to say is this. There are people out doing other things, worshiping at the lake. They're worshiping here. They're worshiping there. But they're not worshiping the Lord. And I want to be careful. I'm not saying that if someone's not here this morning, you know, they're doing something else, that, that somehow that, that means they're, they're not a worshiper of God. But I would say this, that if you spend all your time on the things of the world, that'll show you what you worship. If you spend all your money on other things, it will indicate what you worship. And here, the psalmist says, those things are not worthy of your worship. They are hollow. All the gods of the nations are what? They're nothing. They're idols. They're, wor- they're worthless. But the Lord made heavens. He made it all. We should, we should enjoy the lake. Man, go catch the fish and eat them. And give God praise, the one who made the fish. But we praise him. We look to him. He created it all. That way, that's because he alone is worthy of worship for those things. When you go and enjoy something, we should worship him for it. Because the Lord made it all. And splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are his. We've got to spread the news. The good news. That God alone is worthy. But there's another reason. We find it in verses 10 through 13. God is coming to judge this world. There will be a time of judgment. He says in verse 10, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. And then he goes and talks about the heavens rejoice, the earth rejoice, the sound, the sea resounds, and all that's in it. The trees and all those things, they worship all creation. Why do they worship? Let the cre- creation, verse 13, let the creation rejoice because the, for, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Creation gets it. Creation worships, but it worships the right direction. And it looks forward to the day when everything will be made right. And we too must do the same. We must tell the world that there will come a time when we will all stand before God and we will be judged. The Lord reigns. He rules. And we have got to get the word out that we will all stand someday before the throne of God. And someday we will all face the judgment. So this morning, we spent most of our time on the first half, but I want to, I want to say this. As we wrap up, a couple questions. One, how's your worship? I know there are Sundays that I walk out of this church and I've done nothing more than just been here. I'm running around, I'm doing things, I've got a lot of stuff going on. The songs come and they go and I... I listen, but I'm, I'm thinking, while the song's going on, I'm thinking, what are we going to have for lunch? Or what do I need to teach in Sunday school? Or what do I need to do? And I'm thinking about all these things. And it's easy that our worship, we can be distracted. And my prayer is that we would never come on a Sunday morning and just put in our time. God's not honored by that. And so my question is, how, how's your worship? 
And I want to challenge you to begin by saying, Lord, I, I need, I need to experience a fresh word from you. If we're going to sing a new song, we need to have a fresh experience with God. And sometimes that's coming and saying, Lord, my heart's been, my heart's been distant. My worship has been weak. My mind's been distracted. And my offerings have not been my best. And we would recommit as a church to be a worshiping church. Proclaiming to the world the gospel. Proclaiming it to ourselves, the good news that, that God has come and he has changed us. That he has saved us day by day that we would be a people of praise. And then when we gather together on Sunday morning, it would just be a, an exclamation point on the week. And all that God has done and all that God has, has said to us and the worship we've had all week long. We've got to get our worship in the right place. And so my question this morning, how's your worship? And the second question is this. I think it ties right in. How's your witness? Because if we're not worshiping, we're not going to be witnessing for the right reason. I mean, you can do a lot of things out of duty. I know I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus. And we can go through the, 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 the motions. But if we come to it with a heart of worship, it becomes passion. That we would say, I want to see everyone everywhere gathered around that throne. I want to see my neighbor there. I want to see all people there. When I turn on the TV and I see things going on around the world, those people don't know Christ. And we've got to get the word out. And we need to, to, to see that fulfillment of Revelation chapter 5 when everyone is gathered around the throne. That needs to be our passion and our longing. And that starts by us worshiping. And in that pouring forth in witness. And this morning, maybe you're in this room and You've been putting in time for a long time. You're here for whatever reason, your family. You know, I need to show my kids that it's important to go to church. Or maybe you're here because you grew up in church and you just know you're supposed to do that. Maybe you're here just because you're looking for something. You've been tasting the things of the world and you realize that they're not fulfilling, that they're empty, that they're simply what described here as idols. They're, they're nothing. And I would say to you, Jesus is better. He is worthy. He will satisfy your every need. He will fill every hole in your heart. Everything you need, Christ is there to give it to you. He, he offers salvation. Glory is His. All things are His. Splendor and majesty are His. And He offers it in Christ to you. Worship Him alone. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, you're here for whatever reason, you realize my worship is hollow. Come to Christ. He will fill up that hollowness. The Bible teaches us that he came, that Christ came. He died for our sins. He died on the cross, what? To make us alive. You can't worship if you're not alive. And if you would experience that salvation that he offers, if you would come to him, it will change everything.
Whatever you need this morning, whatever you need to do, as we sing this song of invitation here in a moment, would you sing it from your heart? Forget about the afternoon. Forget about what happens next. Forget about all those things and focus on him for just a minute. Say, Lord, I, I want to worship you. And if you need to make a decision, maybe you need to say, you know, whatever. I, I need to know this Christ you speak of. I need, I need a relationship with him. I need that. We'll be up front. We would love to talk to you more about that. So let's pray and we're, let's stand. Let's worship. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the people you want us to be, worshiping people. Lord, I pray that we would turn away from those things which distract, those idols which are hollow and do not fill, those things which cause us to be distracted. And Lord, we would look to you alone. Lord, when we find you fresh, new every day. Lord, take our hearts and turn them right. Make them right towards you. Lord, just do whatever you want to do this morning as we sing this song. We give this time to you. And we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen.